0: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 110 Getting Clean. Today's proverb is unattributed, I believe it's English. I'll read it twice. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Once more, cleanliness is next to godliness. As I've mentioned on previous episodes of the show, modern Christians have a tendency to object to all proverbs about God. And this is because proverbs concern what is usual, what is typical, And the idea that God usually or typically behaves in certain ways is deeply vexing and frustrating and confusing and terrifying to the modern Christian. And this is because we want God to behave like a scientific law. We want God to either be the God who always does something or who never does something. And the idea that God sometimes does things is sort of terrifying. We want a predictable God. We want a tame God. Nonetheless, there really aren't all that many proverbs that invoke God, including this one. This is not a proverb about God. It's a proverb about godliness, righteousness. And yet I've lost count of all the times I've heard this proverb cited or said this proverb myself and received the reply, it never says that in the Bible. As though to say anything about God, which is not in the Bible, is impious or necessarily wrong. I think that most people object to this proverb in a kind of reflexive, uncritical, sub-intellectual sort of way. I also think that many people mishear this proverb. Cleanliness is next to godliness is a proverb that places the word cleanliness and the word godliness next to one another, which prompts people to confuse the two, or to believe that the proverb aims at confusing the two. But the proverb is not, cleanliness is godliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness is absolutely not a claim that cleanliness and godliness are the same thing. It's not a claim that dirty people can't be saints. Now, I will say that most dirty saints come by it honestly, and that for all those saints that dwelled in the desert, the cause of their dirtiness is often always different than the cause of dirtiness in the average modern man. Dirty saints are generally dirty because they were too busy praying to bathe, which describes absolutely no one I have ever met. If you're too busy praying to take a bath, it's a different thing than being too busy with work to do the dishes. But the next two is important. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It can mean a few different things. It can mean... That cleanliness is next to godliness The way that cumin is next to celery seed On the grocery store spice rack And I imagine that we've all done this before Uh, You've come home from the grocery store With a spice that was next to the one that you wanted And because all of the bottles look the same All the McCormick bottles look the same it's possible to grab one when you think you're grabbing a different one. The fact that cleanliness is next to godliness means that you can confuse cleanliness for godliness. And as a teacher, I will admit that a clean-cut student whose locker is tidy, whose uniform is freshly pressed, and whose hair is newly cut, ...the sort of student who speaks in very precise syllables... ...that sort of student can easily be confused with a pious student. I have done it before. Cleanliness and godliness are next to one another. And you might come home from the grocery store... ...with cleanliness when you thought you were getting godliness. Now, at the same time that I will admit that has happened... ...it surprises teachers... When clean, tidy students are wicked, we don't expect them to be wicked. Tidiness and piety tend to go together. Tidiness and obedience tend to go together. And this is because tidiness is obedience. Tidiness is obedience to reason. Tidiness is obedience to beauty. And it's possible to be tidy and cruel, but the man who is tidy and cruel is torn. Tidiness is a recognition that order is pleasing. Reason brings order. Reason is order. Reason is order of the mind. Truth is easily misplaced in a disordered mind. Cleanliness is next to godliness means that a tidy room is an important step to a tidy heart. Repentance is a spiritual cleanness. Now, I recognize that the point of this show is to prove such assertions. But when I say that a tidy room is an important step to a tidy heart, I don't know that anyone I don't know that many reasonable people would hem and haw over that claim. You want your house to be tidy. You want your children's rooms to be tidy. And when you walk into a teenager's room that's a mess, you assume that other things are being lost too. It's not just order of the room that's being lost. You assume that a person arranges their living space in a way that corresponds with their heart, right? And this is, this is a sort of ancient understanding of the government of the heart. This is Plato's Republic, that every man governs his soul like a city and that there's a form of government that we all live by unto ourselves, That if you're alone on a little island... If you're Robinson crusoe on an island... You can live like a king... You can live like an aristocrat... You can live like a democrat... You can live like a fascist... You can live like an oligarch... There's a style of living... That's emblematic of every sort of government... That what we find in one man's heart... Can be writ large on society as well... And in the same way that we don't assume that a messy room betokens a clean heart. We don't assume that a messy city betokens law and order. That if you're driving through a city and you come across a neighborhood where there's trash everywhere, you don't assume that it's safe. You assume that law reigns in a place where Order and tidiness rate If you're driving along in a city And you move through one clean neighborhood One uh, one tidy lawn after the next uh, And you come across a block You cross a block Where all of a sudden there's trash everywhere And buildings are in a state of decay And no one is repairing them Graffiti's been sprayed on the walls and no one's removed it. You don't look at all of that and assume, well, I'm sure that these people are really busy doing good things and that they didn't have time to clean all of this up. It's the same thing is true of someone's home. If you come across somebody's home and it's a mess, you don't assume well of a messy home any more than you assume well of a messy neighborhood. You assume that there's something uh, that's going a bit wrong in a messy home or a messy room. Just like in a city where nobody takes out the trash. Trash is everywhere. Um, Same is true when there's trash piling up in a garbage can and nobody will take it out. You don't assume, well, these people are just very busy. Um, You assume that they don't have their priorities straight. What's true in a in a small sort of way is true in a grand way as well, and vice versa. Cleanliness is next to godliness. People always hear this and they they respond, that's not in the Bible. Here is what is in the Bible, though. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Since the middle of the 19th century, Christians have been far more interested in the visiting widows and orphans part of James' commandment and not all that interested in the unstained from the world part. Many Christians are now willing to join league with the world, to stain themselves, a deep worldly red because they're impressed by the world's forcibly taking people's money and handing it over to widows and orphans and demanding a pat on the back for it. But James assumes that righteousness and purity, righteousness and cleanliness go together, at least on a metaphorical level. Godliness is a sort of cleanliness. In the same way that darkness... ...is a common metaphor for evil, filth is a common metaphor for evil, too. This is the way that we uh, refer to lurid movies and pornography. call it filth. We talk about dirty movies. We talk about filthy jokes. We talk about filthy jesting. As a teacher, I tend to not trust messy students... For the same reason, I don't trust students who seek out dark places. By which I mean places where no one can see them. And every school has these sort of places. A good teacher, a savvy teacher, can name them off the top of his head. This might be a way of... Like if I was a headmaster, it's the sort of question that I would ask teachers after like five years to see whether they were really paying attention to what they ought to. What are the dark places in this school? Where are the places that students go when they want to do things and say things that they're embarrassed of and don't want anyone to see? How many can you name? How many little nooks and crannies can you name that are dark, essentially? Every school has these places. Every school has places where people often are and places where people almost never are. Schools have these, almost everywhere has these, almost every institution, almost every place, almost every building has parts where you can find people and parts where you can't. And good teachers know where all the parts where you can't be seen are. And they go check them out from time to time. Students who seek out the unpopulated places do so because they don't want to be seen. And they don't want to be seen because they want to do things that they don't want to be seen. And when I see students headed off to someplace on the school grounds where they can't be seen, I don't assume that they have something proper and productive that they're going off to do. In the same way, a messy desk, a messy room, a messy backpack, a messy locker, are never good signs. A messy backpack often betokens a messy head and a messy heart. When someone doesn't mind physical disorder, it's often safe to assume they don't mind any sort of disorder. Because physical order is the most pleasant sort of order there is. And if you cannot be induced to create order where it's pleasant to do so, how in the world could you be induced to create order where it's not pleasant to do so? I wouldn't say that what you have to do in order to have a tidy heart is pleasant. In order to have a tidy heart, you must perform works of faith, which are unpleasant. You must confess your sins, which is unpleasant. And if the pleasure of physical order is not enough to induce you to seek it out, why would you assume that you're seeking out the higher and less pleasant form of order? Albeit the more important form, still the more painful and less pleasant. Pleasant things and important things tend to not go together. No one denies that a clean house Is nicer to live in than a messy house That a clean locker is nicer to look at Than a messy locker So many people So many mothers I should say Talk about the pleasure of doing the dishes Given that you have this tidy kitchen when it's done That there's a kind of aesthetic payoff To doing the dishes That to take a messy kitchen and to turn it into a clean kitchen in half an hour is something that any rational human being can take some satisfaction in. You don't have to be a born again Christian to enjoy a tidy house, it's pleasant that way. When someone doesn't mind physical disorder, which is physically unpleasant, Why would they be willing to seek out spiritual order? There's a connection between our bodies and our souls. The care we take of our bodies and our homes is emblematic of the care we take of our hearts and minds. Years ago, I worked at a school where I had a massive desk. And I had a bad habit of putting used coffee mugs in a certain drawer in my desk the drawer was huge. Like the drawer was big enough you could honestly fit an aquarium inside of it. And I had an appreciation of tidiness. Like I love a tidy desk. But the inside of my desk was often a mess. I would get coffee cups that slowly accrue. And here's something that every teacher knows. If you leave a coffee cup uh, with with two millimeters of coffee and cream in the bottom of it, if you leave that for like two weeks, it will mold. Anyone who thinks that <laughs> coffee and cream is um, like some kind of inert substance, like you leave it for long enough and it... And it grows It was awful I would would Sometimes open up the drawer of this desk And there would be just all of these dishes in there There would be all of these papers I would have I would create work for students That they didn't need back I would grade it And then I would just put it in my desk And periodically You know, once every six weeks or so Eight weeks or so It would be it would be time to clean out my desk. And I would bring the trash can right next to the desk. I would start going through it, looking for anything that I might have lost and needed. And then I would collect all of these coffee mugs and I would carry them to the kitchen. And there was a time when I was, I was doing this, we would clean on Fridays. All the students would clean a classroom The classroom that they were in At third period And I would always uh, Do a little cleaning too Supervise the cleaning Clean my desk You know And um, this was when I cleaned my desk I don't mean that I cleaned it every week And it was this time when um, When I really was Pulling an embarrassing Number of coffee mugs Out of my desk And I commented uh, to the students who were kind of making fun of me and laughing at me for how many coffee mugs I had that the drawer of my desk, that the drawers of my desk were a sign of how much unconfessed sin I had. And when I said this, I said it as a joke. But then when I thought about it for 30 seconds, I realized that it was true. That as the dirty dishes accumulated in the desk, it was almost always a sign that I had a significant amount of sin to confess. That my sin was accruing like dirty mugs. And this was, this was a realization I made on the fly. Didn't plan it out. It, it was just truth I happened to speak. I, I confessed it. We clean when we decide that things don't look right. And that they need to look right. We want things to look right when we want things to be right. And getting things right is the best way of getting things to look right. I know that sounds like a tautology, but it's true. Getting things actually right is the best way of getting them to look right. Cleaning is generally preparation for productivity. You wash the dishes to use them. When guests are coming, you clean because the house is about to be put to use. Messy people can be productive, but messiness is not a strategy for being productive. Messiness is the effect of productivity. Uh, A messy kitchen is a sign that there was great productivity here, right? That the plates were used, that the pots and pans were used, that the knives were used. So messiness is an effect of productivity, but it's not a pathway to productivity. For this reason, messiness and loneliness tend to go together. Lonely people are generally not productive people. People are lonelier now than they've ever been before. People are messier than they've ever been before. Wearing your pajamas to the grocery store is not just allowable. It's now common. And it's interesting that the messier people get, the slobbier they get, the lonelier they get. But these two things, the loner and the slob, tend to go together. There's no well-put-together individual who has no friends. And friends are going to be very helpful in pursuing righteousness. You need friends to bear witness to your life. You need others to bear witness to your life. You need other people to help you be normal. You need other people to help you be normal so that you can be productive. Cleanliness is next to godliness can mean that we find the two on a shelf together. But it also means that cleanliness is typically pathway to godliness. It's the beginning of godliness. And that when we're getting our lives back together, we're not only confessing faults and giving up bad habits. The man who's getting his life back together is often going to start getting his life back together by cleaning his closet.